healing at the pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the, the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in the Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which the Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of dis disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralysed. The, the one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me. And into the pool, when the water was water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But Jesus replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away in the crowd that, that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Thank you, Shirley. Uh, the right button? Yes. Thank you, Shirley. Thanks for jumping in. Uh, thanks for jumping in and doing that at the last minute. Really appreciate it. Okay, so it's missions month. Uh, and you might be wondering, what does this passage have to do with missions? Well, don't worry, I'm going to tell you. Um, a few years ago, I uh, was really lucky to be uh, invited to travel to Cambodia um, with Baptist World Aid. Um, they run, or pre-COVID, they ran uh, what they called supporter trips, um, and they would ask uh, people from different churches who were supporting them um, to come along on these trips to the countries um, where Baptist World Aid supports work on the ground and to visit some of the projects that they support and to see the work that's happening. Um, they, run these, well, they ran these trips uh, all over the world um, and I didn't know it when I signed up but I was actually on the last one they ever ran uh, because then the pandemic hit and they had to cancel all of the trips that they had planned for that year. Um, it was really exciting uh, for two reasons. First of all, because I really love to travel and love to see new places, and I was excited to be able to do that. Um, 
but also because we got to go to places that you wouldn't go to on a holiday. We got to go to villages that, by Cambodian standards, are quite remote, um, that are certainly very far away from uh, cities or even larger towns. Um, and we got to see some of the life-changing work that is happening in those places. Um, we got to see how um, people's basic needs, like food, housing, financial security, and health were being met, and not just by handouts and quick fixes. Uh, you know, sometimes it's really easy to say, oh, you're hungry, here's some food, or you're sick, here's some medicine. Um, but these needs were being met in ways that are sustainable and ongoing and enable people to look after themselves rather than relying on others to um, fix their problems. Um, these needs were being met through the building of relationship, through education and through providing enough support and enough independence for um, these really incredibly impoverished people to um, learn things like farming techniques and personal hygiene habits to support themselves and improve their own lives. Um, it was really interesting um, and it's something that I, I was thinking a lot about at the time and, and I've thought a lot about since is um, the importance of this kind of work. Because the workers on the ground there, they aren't telling people about Jesus. Um, they're Christian workers, um, but what they're doing is meeting people's basic needs because what they have found and what research has told us about the way that humans function, the way that we are created, is that when we're in survival mode, when we're going, where is my next meal coming from? How am I going to keep my house? How am I going to provide for my children? we can't process anything else. Our brains are just stuck on that. And so the, the work that these people are doing is essentially just getting these people out of crisis mode, giving them the ability to support themselves uh, so that their minds can process other things like faith or what are their hopes and dreams for, for their lives or, or what changes do they want to make in their villages and all of these things are things that come later. Um, and often I think we have questions about that. Are you really doing the Lord's work if you're not telling people about Jesus? Um, I think this passage has something to say about that. Um, and I think also it has uh, a, a bit of a model for us for, for how do we, uh, to use that term, do the Lord's work. Um, not the only way, but some helpful things uh, to say, particularly about how we love people well. Um, because that's what these people in Cambodia were doing. They were loving these people in a way that empowered them um, to live their lives in a, in a better, safer, healthier way. Um, and this passage is actually a little bit unique in Scripture in a few different ways. Um, it has some really key points of difference to some of the other healings and miracles that we see from Jesus. You might have noticed them as Shirley was reading, um, and if you didn't, that's okay, because we're going to talk about them. Um, but I think because of these key differences, it actually raises some really helpful questions about what it means to be people of love. Um, because an essential part of God's mission is loving people, isn't it? We're all called to be people of love. That's what uh, Jesus says when he sums up the law. He says, love God and love your neighbor. That's what we're called to do. So let's have a little bit of a closer look at this passage. Uh, first, a bit of background. Jesus has come up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. This was very common. 
Uh, people would come to Jerusalem, often for a few days. They would go to the temple. They would attend the celebrations. It was a really social time because all your friends and your distant family members have also come to Jerusalem, so people are catching up. There's a lot of people in the city. Um, we don't know how he's ended up at this pool. Um, perhaps he's gone for a walk, but either way, he's there. Um, it doesn't tell us whether he's there with his disciples, uh, but if he is, they're not the main focus of this uh, event, this moment. Um, he's, he's come to this pool and he notices this man who is paralyzed. He's unable to walk. These days we might call him a paraplegic. Uh, and this man, um, this, this is already a point of difference because um, you'll notice in a lot of the other healing stories, um, I think of the blind man sitting by the road. What does he do? He calls out to Jesus. He says, Jesus, help me. Um, I think of the paralyzed man whose friends decide that Jesus needs to heal this guy, and so they dig a hole in someone's roof and lower him down to ask for help. We see people approach Jesus and say, Jesus, can you help me? I'm sick. My daughter is sick. My family member is unwell. Can you help us? This man doesn't approach Jesus, and if you read on the passage, it actually seems like he doesn't even know who Jesus is. He may not have even heard of Jesus at this time. Um, but Jesus notices him. And not only does he notice this man, but he cares enough to find out this person's story. Maybe he asks someone else who's in the area. Maybe he asks the man directly. We don't know that bit. But he finds out that this man has been a paraplegic for 38 years. And we don't know a lot about this man. That's all we know. We know he's a man. We know he is a paraplegic. Uh, and he, we know he's been that way for 38 years. That's what scripture tells us. There's a couple of other clues as we go on to the passage, but let's just have a look at who he is and what those things mean. So we know that being uh, without the use of your legs in those days was a lot different to having that same problem today. Today, there's these great uh, wheelchairs and even ones that you have like a little joystick to move in whatever direction you want to move. Um, you can function with autonomy and with dignity today, even if you can't walk. Uh, but in those days, they didn't have wheelchairs. They certainly didn't have electric wheelchairs. Um, so this guy basically had two options. If he wanted to move anywhere, um, even just you know popping into the kitchen to get a glass of water, um, he's got two options. Option number one, you have some really kind, loving friends and family members who carry you places. Right? Just like the other paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof, he had all these great friends who would carry him to places. Um, option number two, you drag yourself along the floor using your hands. There's not a lot of dignity in that, is there? Um, and, and we know that culturally, uh, in, in the first century, people with disabilities were not treated very well. They were treated as less than, they were often ignored by society, many lived on the outskirts of society, and if you didn't have that family uh, and friendship community to help you out, you were pretty much on your own. And we know if, if we scroll forward a little bit to verse 7, this man says he's got no one to help him get into the water. Um, and so I think we can assume that he probably didn't have people to carry him around uh, or help him out with things. I think it's safe to assume that this man was very alone. The other thing that we see about this man is that he has been in this situation for 38 years. Now, I think we can agree that 38 years is a pretty long time to live like that. 
Um, but there's one piece of information that this passage doesn't tell us, uh, and that is the average life expectancy at that time. Average life expectancy today, I think, is currently around 83, 84 years. Um, you know, some, uh, somewhere around there, um, you know, we're expected to live a pretty long life these days. Some people will live longer than that, some people won't make it quite that far, but I would say mid-80s is a pretty good, pretty, pretty long, decent life. I think I have great respect for people who've lived that long and who have um, experienced so many different changes in our society. In those days, people didn't get quite that old. They didn't live quite that long. In fact, depending on which scholar you ask, uh, because they didn't keep their statistics well enough those days that they've survived for us to know about today, depending on which scholar you ask, average life expectancy at that time was 35 to 40 years. Um, so someone like me, really getting up there to the end of my life in those days. Um, so having been in that situation for 38 years, with an average life expectancy of 35 to 40 years, he was either born in this situation or, or uh, became paralyzed as a young child, um, has lived his whole life like this, and when he says he's got no one to help him into the pool, I wonder if what he means is, I've got no one left. I'm very old, I'm very alone. Uh, and I know that that's not a situation we would wish on anyone ever. Um, so we've got this elderly man, he's all alone, um, he's really got a lot of struggles in life, and most likely he spends every day by this pool. Because getting himself around is hard, and where else is he going to go? Um, and so we can see from his responses to Jesus that he seems like he might be a little sad, a little bitter, perhaps, uh, which I think is understandable after living a very long life in very difficult circumstances. Um, it makes me wonder how many people paid any attention at all to the grumpy old man who's always there by the pool. But Jesus noticed him. And we see that Jesus not only noticed him there, among all of the other people with disabilities who were lying by this pool, um, but he had enough compassion for this man to really see him and to want to find out about him and to speak to him despite the fact that this man was probably not a very pleasant person to talk to. You know, Jesus asks him a question, he doesn't really answer, he just grumbles about his life. Um, so Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? And I think this is the first thing, isn't it? When we talk about being people of love, uh, when we talk about um, helping people, um, there's dignity in that question, isn't there? What do you want? You're a person, you have value, you have inherent value because you are a person. What do you want? Do you want to get well? I think when we look out on all the hurting people in the world, all the hurtful situations in the world, um, to have compassion, not just at the overwhelming amount of things going on in the world, but to notice the one thing, the one person or people group, that one specific issue that breaks your heart, that you have compassion for, and to have enough compassion to find out about that. Part of what it means to be a person of love is to have compassion, compassionate love for people. Um, even people others might not notice, 
or others might not choose, might choose not to notice. Now you might expect uh, that this man would reply, yes, absolutely I want to get well. Can you help me? Can you get me into the pool? What can you do to help me? I want to get well. It's not exactly how that conversation goes. Uh, and again, I think it's helpful to point out that I don't think this guy has heard anything about Jesus. I do not think that this, this man has heard that there is a guy going around the countryside doing miraculous things and that this person standing in front of him might be that guy. Um, he seems to know nothing about any of that. And so when a random person comes and stands in front of him and says, do you want to get well? He's not thinking this person might be able to change my life. He's probably just grateful for the conversation. Um, and so he says oh, well, you know, I can't get into the pool. No one can help me. Um, and it might be a little confusing. Why is he talking about a pool? Uh, what's not articulated in this passage is that the Jews had uh, a special belief about this pool. Um, and the belief was that from time to time, an angel would come down from heaven and would stir the water. And, and the first person to get into the water after it's been stirred by the angel will be healed of whatever ails them. But this guy has been around for 38 years at this pool and he knows that the person who's first into the pool is going to be the person who still has the full use of their legs and who has a bunch of friends and family members to help get them in there quickly. Because you can imagine, I'm sure, that when the waters are stirred, everybody wants to be the first one in. And I'm sure that there is quite a number of people uh, with varying disabilities who've got friends and family at the ready so that the second it's time, they can be the first one in. And that man who's by himself with no help and not, no ability to walk, he's never going to be the first, is he? And so for him, the idea that he could ever get well, it's not an idea at all. It's something he probably wouldn't even think about. You see, this man's worldview was so small. He probably sat by this pool all day. If he's not aware of Jesus, he was probably not aware of any of the other goings-on in Jerusalem. He's not the kind of person who, would, who people would just come and have a chat to every day. Um, and so his whole world was his inability to walk and this pool and, and the other people who were at the pool um, that seems to be it. And he had no knowledge um, of the power that Jesus had, has, to change his life. And because he doesn't know that this power exists, he doesn't know to ask for it. If you knew that someone standing in front of you had unlimited power to improve your life, would you ask them to do it? Probably. But if you don't know who that person is and you don't know they have that power, you'd never think to ask every person who speaks to you to, to help you, would you? But Jesus does something that this man probably could never have predicted. He just says, get up, pick up your mat, walk. And it says, at once he was healed. Actually makes me wonder, I, I wonder how long it 
took his brain to realize what his body was doing. Um, you know, sometimes we have things happen and, and our body just responds and we go, oh, I just didn't realize I was about to do that. Um, it just makes me wonder, you know, at what point in the standing up and the picking up the mat did he stop and go, oh, I'm, I'm walking. It must have been such a bizarre feeling doing this thing that he had never imagined that he could do. Um, when we were in Cambodia, we got to visit a lot of different projects. We went to a kids' club um, where kids were taught to read and write and they were taught great songs about the importance of washing your hands and brushing your teeth. Um, we went to a bunch of different farms uh, and uh, we also went to some education groups um, and some, uh, they call them financial teams, finance groups, savings groups, where they, the, the people from a village get together and, and pool their savings and then use it to lend money to the individual farms to help them buy farming equipment. Um, and often that equipment is used by the whole uh, village. Every single place we went, um, we heard variations on the same thing. Uh, we had some field workers who were there to show us around and, and tell us about the work that they were doing and introduce us to people. Um, and every single place we went to, the people there said something along the lines of, you wouldn't believe the difference. They were all saying, please, please show these people the photos of what my farm looked like before you came here. Show them the difference that you have made. We had never imagined that our life could be like this. We had never once thought of the idea that we would ever do anything more than just struggle to put the next meal on the table for our families. They were overwhelmed with gratitude um, for the things that these people had taught them and not for the things that had been handed to them, but for, for the education and the empowerment to learn how to do things for themselves. Um, and, and they kept talking about the difference. You wouldn't believe what my life was like before and now look at me. Uh, and I think um, from them I was able to get a small sense of what that must be like. Um, to have something that is beyond your wildest dreams happen in your life um, and, and to have to come to terms with this amazing new life that you have now. And I think that's the difference with people of love. People of love bring hope, not just through words, but through actions as well. Jesus' words, stand up, pick up your mat, walk, might have been confusing at the time, but they were words of hope, weren't they? Uh, and Jesus' actions, anyone can say those words, but when Jesus said them, there was power behind them. There was an action involved. The man actually did stand up and pick up his mat and walk. That brought hope too, and I'm sure that it didn't just bring hope to that one man who was suddenly able to walk and be a functioning member of society again. I'm sure it also brought hope to other people who witnessed that, because how incredible. Uh, and I can tell you that witnessing the changes that uh, we saw um, from the work in Cambodia, that brought hope to me as well. Um, and so I think people of love, when we're loving each other well, we're bringing hope. Now there are two more important things that happen in this passage. Um, the first is that as this man is walking away, probably immediately after having been healed, um, some religious leaders stop him and they tell him off. 
Why are you carrying this mat? It's the Sabbath. You shouldn't be carrying anything. We don't work on the Sabbath. This is an important law and you need to uphold it. Quite honestly, if it was me in that situation, I probably wouldn't have any clue what day it was. You know? Uh, This is a miraculous life change. You want me to follow my calendar? Um, I wonder if this man was confused. A little surprised that this is possibly the first interaction he's having after having been healed. Um, He just kind of says... Well, the, the man who healed me told me to pick it up and walk. Um, and of course, immediately, these Jewish leaders want to know who is telling people to work on the Sabbath. Um, and they don't find out who Jesus is quite yet. They do find out a little bit later. Um, and if you read the rest of the chapter, you'll find out that this one little comment from this man, uh, probably made in a moment of surprise or confusion, uh, leads to a very public confrontation. Uh, between Jesus and the Jewish leaders that we unfortunately don't have time to get into today, but it's a good read. Um, So if you're looking for a Bible passage to read, you could read the rest of uh, John chapter 5 and and see what happens next. The second thing that happens is this. Later, maybe later that day, maybe the next day, we're not told, sometime later, the man is at the temple, um, possibly to offer a, a, a thanks offering, to God for his healing, possibly to celebrate um, the same festival that Jesus is in town for. Uh, He's there. Um, Temple is probably very crowded because lots of people travel in for these these festivals. Uh, But Jesus sees him again and he speaks to him. Um, And he encourages the man to not live in sin so that something worse won't happen to him. Now, something worse, uh, Jesus is not saying, if you don't watch out, You'll lose, a use, you'll lose the use of your arms as well. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about a, an immediate physical something worse might happen to you tomorrow if you don't watch out. Uh, the something worse is an eternity separated from God. Don't live in sin. Live in the light. Right? Be right with God. Because what, ca- what happens after that is infinitely worse than 38 years unable to walk. This might seem like an odd conversation uh, and I wonder whether that's the whole interaction or whether more was said that isn't recorded. Um, But I think here too we see another act of love. Jesus finds this man at the temple and he encourages him to continue following God. You see, people of love are people of encouragement, aren't they? They don't just bring hope, they bring encouragement to those as they journey Uh, Being a person of love is about getting alongside someone and being with them in the journey. And I think this is really lovely because we don't often get to see uh, Jesus follow up on someone later, do we? Often we see a healing happen and then the Bible moves on to the next event. Um, So it's really lovely to see two separate interactions with this man and Jesus. Um, And and I think that's a model for us as well for how to love people well. Now, you'll notice that this spiritual encouragement doesn't actually come at the same time as the healing. Um, Jesus provides for this man's immediate needs. He brings him out of that crisis mode, that inability to think of anything other than, well, I can't walk and this is my whole life. Um, 
and allows him the space to consider other things, like maybe you should think about your relationship with God. Maybe you should think about being right with God. Um, that conversation is a separate incident that happens later. And again, I think we see here this model for, for this work of, of helping people by providing for their immediate needs so that later they can think about other things, including their spiritual needs. I want to finish up uh, with a story from my trip that I think really, really clearly shows not only the idea of being people of love, um, but the impact that that can have, not only on one person, but on a whole community. Uh, we were taken to a farm to visit a man that our local hosts, these field workers, thought that we should meet. Uh, he wasn't originally on our schedule, um, but they really pushed the trip organizers. They were like, no, you need to meet this person. This is really important. And so we're taken to this farm, uh, and we were introduced to a man whose name was Uk Meng. Uh, he was 77 years old when we met him in 2020. Um, and the second we walked through the gate, there's 15 of us on this trip, so it takes a while for us to get through the gate. This, not all of us were through the gate before he had started talking, a mile a minute. I mean, really, the translators couldn't keep up with him. Um, he was so excited, and he kept to each of us lifting up the leg of, the, the leg of his pants, trying to show us um, the scar from a, an injury that he was trying to tell us about. Uh, we were a little confused, and it, it took a few minutes to slow him down, get him to start at the beginning, to, to understand we don't speak Khmer, the local language, we need translation, and, and the translators need him to slow down. But he told us about how, as a young man, um, or perhaps some context first, he lived in an area that was the last stronghold of the Khmer Rouge, the people who um, instigated the Cambodian genocide. Um, this was their last stronghold. This was kind of the area they were from. It was an area where they were particularly strong and had a particularly lasting impact. And so he lived in this area, and as a young man, they forced him to be a soldier. So it's very common. Any able-bodied man was forced to be a soldier, and if you don't, we will hurt your family. So he had no other option but to be a soldier and to commit unthinkable atrocities on their behalf things that he didn't believe in and didn't want to do, but had no choice about doing because they had his family. And when they were finished with him, they cast him aside and they shot him in the leg. Uh, and to this day, he walks with a limp and he can't walk very far. He has a little, um, little motorbike that he uses even to just drive to his neighbor's house, which is like two houses down the road, uh, because he can't walk far. It's too painful for him. Um, and when the peace came, he told us how he had no hope. He had this tiny little farm, uh, and I think he grew cabbages initially. Um, and, you know, if, if one year there were pests or perhaps bad weather, that was it. His crops were destroyed and he had no income for that year. This man was the poorest of the poorest of the poor. And he told us that he had no hope, and he knew that was going to be his whole life. No, no further questions. This is it for me. Um, but one day he got connected in with these field workers, these aid workers, these people of love who noticed him, had compassion on him, took the time to hear his story, to get to know him, uh, and began encouraging him and giving him hope through their words and through their actions. They provided him 
with education about pest control and about the importance of having diverse crops so that you are maximising your chances of having any income at all this year. They gave him a lot of knowledge and education about agricultural principles that would help his farm become uh, more sustainable in terms of the income that it was providing him. When we're talking about income, we're not talking about profits, we're not talking about getting rich, we're talking about enough money to feed his family three meals a day. Um, and when we were there, his farm was like an oasis in the desert. He had cabbages that were bigger than my head. I've never seen a cabbage that big in my life. He had long beans that were three times the length of any bean we saw on any other farm on that trip. He had bananas, he had fruits and vegetables that I didn't even know the names of. Um, and he had two enormous ponds full of fish that he also sold. So when the pests come through his cabbages, he's got something else to sell. He's doing okay. And he uses the income from his farm for two things. Number one, to ensure that his daughters and his granddaughters receive an education. In a country where people are very suspicious of education because of the history they've had with it, he sees the value and he makes it happen. And the other thing that he uses his income for is to host community meals every couple of weeks. Everyone in the community is invited to his house um, and he feeds them with food from his farm. Food that he could otherwise sell, but he doesn't need to because he has enough now. And one of the men in our group said, you know, I'm so impressed with all this work that you've done. Um, I see that you're an old man now. Are you planning to retire and hand over the farm to your daughters? And he said, no. He said, I don't have enough money yet. Seems like an odd thing to say, considering how generous he was with giving stuff away. And so we asked, what do you need the money for? And he said, I'm building a school. He said, the children in our village get on a bus and they travel an hour to school. And in the rainy season, the road is washed away so they can't go. In the harvest season, they're needed on the farms to help their parents so they can't go. Our children are not being educated so out of my savings, I'm building a school in my village. None of these things would have been possible, first of all, without the assistance of God, but without people of love who saw the problems in these communities and took compassion and went in there, understanding those needs uh, and were people of love in those communities. You see, the love of God is infinite. It overflows out of one person and into the next, and out of that person and into the next on an ongoing basis. It never stops overflowing. People of love inspire other people of love. Your compassion and your action, your encouragement and your bringing of hope inspires others to do the same for those that they encounter. We don't know what happened to the man in this passage. Um, we don't know whether he went on to become uh, a, a person of love, whether he went on to follow Jesus or not. But we do know that the impact that Jesus had on this man's life was amazing. Hard to define how big it was. So where does that leave us? People of love aren't just aid workers or missionaries. They're not just SRE teachers. They're not special people with special gifts. 
we're all called to be people of love, aren't we? And we're given all sorts of information in our world about what it means to love someone. Just be a kind and loving person. Practice a bit of tough love. Just be nice and be tolerant. We hear all sorts of things, but from what we see in the Bible, we see Jesus being a person of love everywhere he goes. And that looks different in different situations. And if you read every single thing in, in all four Gospels, you will see that being a person of love looks different depending on who you're loving and what they need. But from this passage alone, we can see a really helpful model for what it might look like to be a person of love and to impact someone's life for the better. You don't have to go to Cambodia or to anywhere else in the world to change someone's life. You just have to be a person of love. Um, get alongside people in their mess and in their unpleasantness. Um, bring hope to them through the things that you say, the things that you do, and continue to encourage them. Continue to point them towards Jesus, gently, um, especially if they're resistant to that idea. Um, and I think what we see from Jesus healing this man at this pool um, is that there are many ways to do that. There are many ways to love people. Uh, but we are all called to love people and to love them well. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much um, for the example that you have provided us uh, about how you have loved so many people in so many different ways. Uh, Lord, thank you that we have uh, this whole month to think about missions work and aid work um, and what that looks like and how we can best support it. Lord, I ask that you would cultivate in all of us uh, more and more of a spirit of love. Uh, Lord, let us never be content um, with the things that you have already uh, helped us to do in your love for those around us. Uh, let us always be looking for the next person who needs your love, the next person uh, who, who can... Uh, whose life can be changed by encountering your love and your power. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, grow all of us more and more into people of love every single day. Amen.